That's what he said. This was a most interesting chapter. The title, Angelic Agencies. Angelic Agencies. The spiritual world reveals the background of the historical world. The spiritual world reveals the background of the historical world. Chapter 10. It was the third year of Cyrus, well, and we dated this setting is somewhere oh, between 536 and 534. It's about two years now. It's about two years that Cyrus has published the decree. Uh, has published the decree. permitting the children of Israel to go back, to go back to the land. Well, and about 50,000 of them, about 50,000 went with Ezra and Zerubbabel, not Ezra, Zerubbabel uh, and Joshua. About 50,000 of them went back with uh, Zerubbabel. And just as soon as they got there, they ran into difficulties. They started immediately, you remember, to build the temple, and then the uh, Samaritans and the people that lived in Canaan said that here these Jews are coming back, they're going to rebel against you again, uh, Babylon. And in Babylon, you remember, it was uh, Cyrus and the Medo-Persian, who that were, was the political power, it was the political power uh, that ruled, that ruled the whole fertile crescent. That whole world, huh? Babylon, the Euphrates, and then over there into uh, Palestine and down into Egypt. And so this is what this is all about. And Daniel here, Daniel here, was much exercised over the news that he was receiving from the uh, the Jews who had returned to Palestine. The difficulties that they were encountering. Verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three for a week. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine to my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, which is Hydekel. That's the Tigris, not the Euphrates, the Tigris. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man. Now, you want to underline him, this who is this man? We were talking about this at the last time. A certain man. We're in chapter 10 of Daniel. We're in chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 5. Verse 5. And he was clothed in linen, whose loins were girt with fine gold of Euphrates. His body also was like the bearer in appearance of lightning, and his eyes lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet 
like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my calmness was turned in me into corruption. That is, my strength was turned into weakness, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of the words when I heard this voice of his word. Then was it I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is what we want to deal with this morning, the prince, chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now, who is this? Is this a man? Is this an angel? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, and twenty days, and lo, Michael, Michael, one of the chief angels, the only one that is called an archangel. What else do we know about him in Scripture? The chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. So this prophecy now, this prophecy is for the latter days. It's for this whole period of time that we call, that we call the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. Could you bring that blackboard over there so I can use this? Just turn it around here, in front of the piano. Because in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and he went on. Well, and then you remember how that, uh, again, he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Look at verse 20, at verse 20. Then said he, this angel that had touched him, then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, 
Lo, the prince of Greece shall come. Tremendous. Here he's talking about angelic agency. The spiritual world reveals the background of the historical world. What happens here upon earth is just a repercussion of what's happening in heaven. The clash of, of forces, human forces, on the earthly level is the result of a clash of spiritual forces in the heavenly, in the invisible level. And this isn't the only illustration. This isn't the only example of this. Huh? Many examples of this in Scripture, and it's these that we want to take up and look into uh, quickly this morning. Shall we pray? Our Father, Lord, we come to thee at the beginning of this day. Lord, we're dealing with a subject that if it were not for the revelation of thy word, we would know nothing about. Lord, we must tread here with caution, with all humility, Lord, as we open thy word and seek to expound it. But these truths are so clear in thy word. You have told us time and again that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness. There's an invisible war on the forces of good and the forces of evil, the forces of Christ and the forces of Satan. Lord, may we live day by day in this world today conscious of this war. It isn't just a question of human wit against human wit, but against forces, angelic forces, powerful forces. And we thank the Lord, as we'll see, that the victory is sure. The forces of light overcome the forces of darkness, and they will be destroyed. Lord, we pray with John. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. The Spirit says come. The Bride says come. We say come. Hasten that day when every opposing force shall be destroyed. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Righteousness, shall be established here upon this earth. These things we ask with a special blessing upon each one who is here, his home, his work, his service, his ministry, and his church. Lord, open up our eyes that we may see these great truths in thy word. These things we ask with a special prayer, Lord, for Dr. Crichton. Bless him, strengthen him, restore him to complete strength, we pray. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. <clears throat> angelic agencies. Angelic agencies. Now we notice we put this in the plural. We put this in the plural. 
bet I'm not going to be able to get over there. We put this in the plural because the agencies are not only just good agencies, they're evil agents. And we're talking about what? We're talking about angelic agencies. Just as there are various degrees of life below man, You've got all the animals and the birds and the beasts and the insects and, and all these other much smaller lights below man. Just so, just so, there are beings above man. Now, many of them would probably not make a distinction between uh, lost angels, fallen evil angels, and demons. I personally do, but uh, there's many probably that would not. But you have the angels. You've got the cherubim. You've got the seraphim. You've got uh, archangels. So you have a whole hierarchy of good angels. And then over against this, over against this, the Scripture clearly teaches that you have a whole hierarchy of evil angels, principalities, powers, dominions, rulers, these terms are used both, both of good angels and of evil angels. They're used in Scripture both of good angels and of evil angels. Now, I know that we're living in a materialistic age, and uh, many in the world today you remember back in your college days, and if you're dealing with college people today, they uh, would hesitate you talking about God. They would really oppose the very concept of God. They would say, you have a philosophical bias. There isn't such a thing as God. Prove to me that there is a God. Reality, reality is limited and restricted to that which is predictable. That's what you can sense and feel. There is no such thing as, the, as an invisible spiritual reality. That's a part of the establishment. That's a part of your philosophical bias. There is no such thing. Reality is limited, restricted to that which you can touch, what, what you can feel. But the Bible is very clear that reality is not limited and restricted to that which you can touch, that, that which you can feel. But there's a real world that's a reality that's invisible. They're invisible, angelic beings that are very real. And not only that, but that are very active in your life and in mine, are very active in your life and in mine. We saw last time, we saw last time how that uh, Daniel was praying 
Daniel was mourning. Because I've divided this chapter into these two parts. Uh, angelic agencies. First in the personal realm, and then in the political realm. First in the personal realm, and then in the political realm. Uh, and uh, there are two ideas that we want to stress as far as the personal realm. It works as far as prayer is concerned, and we, I just want to say a word about that, and then we'll go on. And then also in the personal world as guardian angels. Guardian angels. And we'll say just a word about that. Then we want to go on and deal with the main theme of in the political world. Here was Michael, here was an angel being withstood by the prince of Greece. Being withstood by the prince of Persia. Now, who are these princes of Persia? Who is this prince of Greece? And is it going to continue this withstanding? What's the outcome? What do other passages of Scripture, what light do other passages of Scripture show on this tremendous, angelic, invisible war? In a racial, political aspect. It also applies to the personal, no doubt. So Daniel was there. He was in his summer home on the Hidekel, on the Tigris River. Babylon has gone now. Babylon has gone. Medo-Persia is in power. And it's been two or three years now since Cyrus has permitted the Jews to go back. 50,000 of them about went back. Then they were, then Daniel heard about this situation, that the group that were there in Palestine, they were being opposed by the Gentiles, by the nations. They had written to Persia, to the court, and the court had suspended the building of the temple. And this agonized Daniel. Just let me apply this just a minute. Do we really agonize three whole weeks? Daniel ate no, practically no food. There was no steak and potatoes and peas. There was no music. He didn't use any deodorants. He didn't use any perfume. He was fasting because his fellow citizens were in Palestine being afflicted by Gentile powers. And he was agonizing before God. You know, missionaries tell us constantly that one of the reasons they feel why more souls are not reached, why more souls do not come to the Lord Jesus Christ in heathen pagan lands it's because you and I do not hold these missionaries up in prayer. The problem, friends, of the missionary work is not the materialism of communism. It's not the 
bigotry of Muslim faith. It isn't national. The problem is the unbelief of the people of God. All things are possible to God. And here was Daniel agonizing, fasting for three whole weeks because his fellow citizens were being afflicted and persecuted there in Palestine a thousand miles away. How often do you pray for the Christians in Russia, the Christians in China, the Christians in Vietnam, the Christians in Africa that are going, undergoing tremendous persecution? How often do you pray for those missionaries that are seeking to reach the lost? Here was Daniel, and he prayed three whole weeks. The prayer immediately reached heaven. But on the way back, the answer, the angel that brought the answer was hindered, was withstood. You see above us today, you've got your atmospheric heaven, about 100 miles. Then you've got that great infinite space beyond it, the habitation of angels, angelic beings, and that angel bringing the answer back to Daniel was withstood, was hindered, was stopped. The prayer was direct. The answer was delayed. But as we said up here, delay does not mean what? Denial. Delay does not mean denial. And remember, when you and I pray and God doesn't seem to answer immediately, that doesn't mean that God has denied our prayer. It may have been direct in its ascent to heaven. God may have heard it immediately, but coming back, the answer of that prayer was stopped because of evil angelic forces. And it was necessary that Michael, the only arch other archangel, personally I think that there were two originally, two archangels. Uh, one was Michael and the other one was the one who became, who became Satan after his rebellion. God didn't create Satan as Satan. God didn't create Satan as an enemy. He didn't create him evil. Oh, no. He created him the anointed cherub, the one that was absolutely perfect and holy. And he rebelled against God. He says, I will be like the Most High. Satan is God's ape. He's God's mimic. Everything that God has, Satan has. Oh, it's interesting. If you ever want to study this in Scripture, God has a beloved son. Satan has a beloved son. His Antichrist. There's this uh, trinity of God, Father, Son, Spirit. There's a trinity of evil, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the false spirit. There's a, he's, Satan is God's mimic. Satan 
poses so often as an angel of light. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's Satan. I'll be like the Most High. And all through Scripture, we see this. And my is so true, friends. Even in your life today, Satan tries to imitate. He quotes you Scripture, justifying you to do this and this, when it's not of God at all. Just like Satan quoted Scripture to Christ in his temptation. Dealing. Yes. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth, brother. You took the words out of my mouth. I'm dealing right now with a, a young fellow, and he has received some teaching that God has made all things. He's made wine to make the heart glad, so therefore it's perfectly all right for a Christian to drink. And from drink he's gone to taverns. You know who goes into taverns. Loose men and loose women. He's breaking the heart of his parents. His mother called me in tears yesterday. What can I do, Mr. Davidson? My son liked you more than almost any other professors there. If anyone can do anything with my son, I believe you can. Will you do something? From drink, it's gone to smoke. Smoking, from smoking, it's gone to day. And there, one of the brightest, most promising, talented young men we've had here in recent years. All because of Scripture. Satan is God's mimic. He can use Scripture to persuade you to do that which is evil. Now, it's just a cloak. It's just a cloak. It's just an excuse for the old sinful nature to satisfy itself in lust and in sin and in rebellion. Satan is God's great mimic. Well, let's go on. Now, For the second part of this, it's a personal guardian. Put down that verse there if you're taking any notes. Maybe just turn to it. I'll remind you what the passage says. Hebrews 1.14. Know you not that the angels are what? Are spirits. Sent of God, sent of God, for those who are heirs of salvation. Those who are heirs of salvation. You see, in this experience that Daniel had, in this experience that Daniel had, he was agonizing, he was hungry, he was exhausted. Then God showed him a vision of himself. Not the pre-incarnate Christ, maybe, 
but the post-incarnate Christ, the Christ that uh, Moses saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Christ that John saw on the island of Patmos, chapter 1 of Revelation, a glorious Christ, not a helpless Christ, a dead Christ on the cross, not a babe, uh, but a resurrected, risen Christ. And uh, then a certain man touched him. Now, was this certain man Christ or not? I'm inclined, as I studied this again for the class this morning, that there is a change in personalities at verse 10. That vision does refer to the person of Christ. Then in verse 10 it says that a hand touched me. A hand touched me. That was an angel. That was an angel. And it encouraged and strengthened, encouraged and strengthened the exhausted Daniel. Now this says something that uh, angels do have a tremendous part in your life and in mine. Just let me review quickly something that the scriptures say with respect to this angel. Of course you may ask, uh, do angels have bodies? I don't think angels certainly don't have physical bodies like you and I have, but there in 1 Corinthians 15 it says that they are heavenly bodies and they are earthly bodies. Yes, there are Angels certainly are not disembodied spirits. Angels do have bodies. They don't have flesh and blood. You can't pinch them. They don't weigh so much, but they do have some kind of form. Uh, now, they can also assume, assume human form. You remember in that great chapter of uh, 18th of uh, Genesis, Chapter 18 of Genesis, here was Abraham under the oak tree, and three men came. One was the angel of Jehovah, one was the Lord Jesus Christ, the other were two angels. And they went down, you remember, into Sodom, into Lot's house, and you remember the whole narrative. They were angels. You remember Gideon was working, he was out there uh, threshing, and uh, an angel came and spoke to him. He saw this angel, it, it was similar to a man, but distinct from a man. Yes, you remember that uh, Peter was in prison, Acts 12, Acts 12, Peter was in prison, and, uh, and uh, he was going to be crucified, he was going to be beheaded the next day. And uh, there he was, asleep. Always thought that was interesting. If you knew you were going to be headed the next day, would you be able to sleep the night before? The, the absence of tremendous faith in, of uh, Peter in that experience. And uh, there he was, and an angel touched him and said, Get up, Peter. Put on your clothes. Get dressed, Peter. And uh, his chains, two uh, chains on both hands and on his feet, then the doors opened automatically. It was an angel. God uses angels in behalf, in behalf 
of the heirs of salvation in behalf of the saved. Now, I'm not saying that each one has one angel, but I think there is an angel, at least, that has a responsibility over maybe many or maybe just one. We don't know how many angels there are. that God sends to minister to us who are heirs of salvation. You remember that case? I don't think it's a parable. It isn't called a parable. That Christ tells of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was that poor beggar, you remember, that was placed at the door of the rich man. And it came to pass that the poor man died. And what does it say? Who took him there? An angel took that soul to Abraham's bosom. So you have here angels for infants, angels have an operation in your life and in mine, just like they did in Gideon's life, just like they did in Abraham's life, just like they did in Peter's life, just like they did in Daniel's life, and in John's. God's angel. Then, when death comes, when the reaper finally takes your soul, being saved, carries that soul to heaven through these angelic hosts. Maybe that soul would get stopped. Maybe that soul would be withstood, just like the answer of Daniel's prayer, if it were not for these angels to take that soul. God is interested in the salvation of souls. And there's an angelic being, a guardian angel that's around, protecting. I'm quite convinced, friends, that when we come to know, even as also we are known, When God one day reveals to us all the details of our life, the pros and the cons, the defeats and the victories, that we'll realize that much that we thought was so supernatural in our lives was the result, was the result of angelic operation, activity in our life. We do have guardian angels. Now we want to look at the next part, the political aspect of this. We have looked at the personal, as far as the prayer life is concerned, and we're using Daniel as an example. We saw how that Daniel, a certain man, came and strengthened them in that hour of, of uh, discouragement, in that hour of exhaustion. 
how that that certain man came and touched him. And just so today, now I know that for us in this particular age, the Spirit of God comes and he dwells in the individual that uh, the angels do not do as much, at least in the New Testament, as they did in the Old because we have the indwelling Spirit of God. But nevertheless, we can't deny the working of the Spirit of God even in this age. Now let me read again those two verses. We're dealing with 10, chapter 10, verse 13 and verse 20. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me and twenty days, one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me. And I, now remember, that me is not Daniel. That me was the angel that touched Daniel. And I have remained there with the kings of Persia. This I, then, is this angel, remained with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall the people in the latter days. Remember that this narrative, these ten chapters, 10, 11, and 12, they form one, one message, one unit, these three. Now, we dealt with that last time. You remember this chapter 10 is just a prologue. This chapter 10 is just an introduction. Then chapter 11 is the main heart of the message. It's divided into two parts, divided into two parts. The first 35 verses deal with that which is, was in the immediate future for Daniel, that which is before the coming of Christ. It deals with these, the reigns of Persia and of Greece, of Persia and of Greece, in preparation for the coming of the Romans and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we call the inter-inter-testament period. Then he says that this prophecy is for what? The latter days. So this whole, that's what I wanted to put on the board there, but... Uh, I'm hogtied here. I can't reach it. Now, the whole present age, this inter-advent age from the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the cross to the crown, his second coming, all of this is jumped in this book of Daniel. You saw that when Dr. Crichton explained Daniel 9, between verses 26 and 27. You have that gap that interval between the 69th week and the 70th week, between the 69th and the 70th week, there's this whole gap. And you see this last discourse, this last discourse of Daniel is to fill in this period. What's going to happen in this period? And he says that there's going to be a conflict between the Jews and Persia, between the Jews and Greece. And he says that this conflict, this conflict that had transpired in the immediate future 
from Daniel's standpoint, is typical, is symbolic of, of the great and final conflict that's going to take place in the latter days. So this prophecy, friends, this prophecy looks beyond us, 1979. It looks beyond us. And this is where we'll finish, the Lord willing, this morning. These latter days. Now, I hope no one's here that... Uh, says, Mr. Davidson, I don't believe that. How could Daniel, how could Daniel look down through the ages? How could Daniel look down through the centuries and predict and see all of this? Daniel didn't do it. But the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the sovereign God who controls, who has a definite plan and is executing this definite plan, he knows what's going to be tomorrow. And so he can reveal to his servant Daniel, a man who is greatly beloved, a man who was, who was open and free to receive the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he, he can receive and describe that which is going to happen years, years, and maybe not so many, years in before us. It's what we call the times of the Gentiles. Luke 21, 24. Luke 21, 24. The times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles begin at the first verse. I'm sure Dr. Crichton emphasized this. At the first verse of Daniel 1. Daniel 1, 1 and 2 says that God delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. That is a very important verse. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that conquered Jehoiakim. God delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God was working. There is the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. Those times of the Gentiles is that period during which the Gentiles govern Palestine. The Gentiles rule in Jerusalem. From that day, 605, 606 B.C., Daniel 1, 1 and 2, when God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, when the kingdom, the single kingdom, came to an end until, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in glory and power. Revelation 19, that's the times of the Gentiles. And Daniel here, the whole perspective of this, as is so common in Scripture, he deals, yes, he deals, yes, with the immediate future. Then he uses the immediate future as a springboard, as a springboard for the remote future. So he uses what was going to happen shortly after, shortly after his days as a type of what is going to happen 
still in the future. Now, of course, you're saying, well, haven't the times of the Gentiles finished? Uh, isn't uh, Israel, isn't the Knesset in charge of Palestine? In a sense, only in a sense, there isn't a freedom, there isn't the independence there. If United States should withdraw its armaments, its planes, its tanks, its guns, what would happen to Israel? You know, it'd be destroyed, be pushed into the sea. But God providentially has a United States. And if the United States changes its position, God will use somebody else. But Israel still, even today, it's a nation since 1948, it's a member of the United Nations, there is a certain independence, but that peace in Palestine is a tenuous peace. They're not free and absolutely established and secure and independent there. So this times of the Gentile is not finished yet. It's not finished yet. So this prophecy, the vision of this prophecy, now you're going to see this. You're going to see this in chapter 11. Dr. Crichton takes it up next time. The first 35 verses deal with this period, the Persian period and the Grecian period, up to, up to the Maccabean Rebellion in 165 B.C. Then verses, the whole, the whole present age is between verses 35 and 36 of chapter 11. Then, beginning with 36 to the end of that chapter and into the 12th chapter, you're dealing about something that's taking place still in the future. It's the same as the 69 weeks and the 70th. That gap, the present age, is there constantly in the book of Daniel. Daniel did not see this present church age. As Paul says, that's a mystery. That's a mystery. So we must go on. If you have any questions, I'd be glad to take them up afterwards, but I we just can't now because uh, I know you're getting hungry for the coffee and the donuts. And there's one or two more things I really want to say. Now, <clears throat> so we see then the angelic agencies we see that they're evil angels. We see that they're good angels. We see that these evil angels have a head, Satan. Under Satan are the demons and the evil fallen angels. Now, God didn't create evil fallen angels. They were all holy angels. Some of them were elect. Some of them were elect. Some of them were not elect. The elect angels were elect to remain holy. Different from you and me. There's an election among men. There's an election among women, people. But the election of angels is slightly different. First Timothy 5, I believe, deals with this elect angel. So then you have these uh, fallen angels. 
And along with him, you have all the lost men. So here you have this great a siege, this great battle, this invisible war, you see, between, between Satan and his host. It's a hierarchy. It's well organized. It's well developed. It's well administered. And it has one purpose, one purpose, to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep him from reigning here upon this earth. On the other side, you have Christ. You have the elect angel. You have those who are saved. And as we come nearer and nearer to the end of this age, we see that the lines are very sharply drawn. Are very sharply drawn. You're either for or against. There isn't anybody in no man's land. You either have the sign of the beast on your hand or on your forehead, or you have the sign of the Spirit of God, you're saved. And there's going to be a tremendous clash. But look, turn with me to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. We don't have time to go into all these other various passages. But you remember that Satan, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that Satan is the god of this age. You remember Paul in Romans 8. Paul in Romans 8, he says, Who can separate us from the love of God? Principalities and angels can't separate us. See, this is what Satan wanted to do with Daniel. Here was a Daniel greatly beloved. He wanted to separate Daniel from God, Daniel from the love of God. When he says angels can't do it, Michael Cage. Tremendous. You, you've read that passage over there in Romans 8, 38, 39 many times and never thought. But this is an actuality. Paul knew what he was talking about. There are evil satanic angels that would separate the elect from his love of God. And he says, can't do it. And the ex exhibition A is Daniel, chapter 10. Exhibition A is Daniel, chapter 10. God won't let you. Now, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Chapter 18, chapter 18, I was hoping we'd have a little time to read a little bit more of this, but I do encourage you to read it in your own sometime today, tonight, most interesting passage. Now, I'll try to just pick up a verse or two and get, fill you in with a narrative. We're talking about angelic agencies. We're talking about that the spiritual world, 
serves as a background for the historical world, that the wars that take place here upon the earth are just repercussions, are just the overflow of wars that happen in the invisible world, in the heavenly world, the clashes between men here on this earth are really just a reflection of classes, clashes between angelic hosts. We have two examples, this one here and the one in Revelation. Chapter 18, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and Ahab, king of Israel. You're down now in the dual kingdom. Jehoshaphat, Judah's in the south, Ahab is in the north. And this is a period of I suppose when they're carrying on the white war. We call it what? Detente. Here it is. Jehoshaphat and Ahab are trying to cooperate, are trying to cooperate. So they're together. And up in the north, there's Syria. And uh, so uh, Ahab is asking Jehoshaphat, will you join your forces? You of Judah, you of the south, will you join your forces with us Yankees in the north? against Syria, and so Jehoshaphat says, well, do you have any prophets? How is this going to come out? We oughtn't to go into this war without consulting God. And so uh, Ahab says, yes. So Ahab brings in 400 prophets, 400 prophets. And uh, these prophets all say, yes, Ahab. And Jehoshaphat, go up. God will deliver this into a king. <laughs> but they didn't say which king. And one of the prophets made horns out of brass. And he came in and acted before Ahab and Jehoshaphat, showing just exactly how their united forces would go against and destroy Syria. They would push Syria right off the map. But somehow there was a spirit in Jehoshaphat that I, I don't believe this. Those prophets, you, you've paid them, they're all bribed, they're not going to tell the truth. So Jehoshaphat says, is there another prophet? Oh, Ahab says, yes, we have one of the true prophets. But he always prophesies evil with my respect. You remember Ahab. Ahab, he was the husband of Jezebel. They were the ones that taught Israel to sin. Oh, my. One of the most wicked king and queen that ever were in Israel. Ahab. And, but, uh, so Joshua said, well, you go call it. So Micaiah comes, and Micaiah, they tell Micaiah, 
Now you prophesy just like these other 400 of Israel prophesied. And so he does. Jehoshaphat said, now you tell the truth, Micaiah. You tell the truth. You're a man of God. You're a prophet of God. What did God say to you? That is, we're not interested in what we want to hear. What did God say? What's going to happen? And so he says, well, that's a whole different ball game. If you want to know really what's going to happen, if you really want to know God's will, here it is. And he says that God was going to destroy Israel by Syria, as he did, you remember, just a few years later. And then the prophet, now get this, verse 18, verse 18. Then the prophet described what he saw happened in the invisible world, in the heavenly sphere, in the angelic area. Now listen to this. 18, verse 18, Second Chronicles 18, verse 18. And he said, that is, Micaiah, therefore hear the word of the Lord. If you don't want just to hear what you want to hear, if you really want to hear the Lord, here it is. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand. Now get this. I saw. See, God supernaturally opened his eyes that he might see the angelic host. We don't see it, that they're there. They're there. And, verse 19, and the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab? Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake, saying after this manner, and another saying after that manner, Then there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord. Fantastic, friend. Here was an evil spirit, a demon, an angel, that stood before the Lord in that greater siege when all the holy elect angels were there around that throne. I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go and do even so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of those, and that Zedekiah shall go and destroy so that the prophecy of those 400 prophets and that told Ahab and Jehoshaphat to go, he prevailed. So they went, and that battle at Ramoth Gilead was the result of this interaction in the heavenly angelic host. The spiritual world serves as the background of the historical, physical world. That battle was first fought 
and sloth in heaven. Now, just take just a couple minutes. Turn quickly over to the book of Revelation. Turn quickly over to the book of Revelation. In chapter 9 of the book of Revelation, you have the abyss opened, and you have demons coming out of the abyss. Huh? You have demons coming out of the abyss, these great locusts that go and, and uh, torture men for these five months. Then in chapter 12, chapter 12 of Revelation, because we're continuing showing you other illustrations of the same thing that we see in Daniel, that we see in Daniel. Here in Daniel we saw that this Michael was resisting the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. This prince of Persia and prince of Greece wasn't a human being, wasn't a human being. No human being could resist Michael, an angel. An angel is superior to a man. This prince of Persia, this prince of Greece were angelic beings were those uh, principalities and powers within the satanic kingdom, the power, under the power and tutelage and direction of Satan. They were opposing the people of Israel. And much that you see today in the Arab world, in the Jordan world, much of this opposition is down through the ages that has been against Israel is because of the princes of Egypt, the princes of Syria, the prince of Jordan, and the angelic area is fighting against the angels of God, the prince of Israel, of Michael. That what happens here is just a repercussion of what's happening there. But now, in chapter 12, in chapter 12, it says that he saw, John saw war in heaven, Michael and his angels against Satan and his angels. Here's this tremendous conflict. We see that what we have seen here in Second Chronicles and in the book of Daniel, that this is going to continue, but not forever, not forever. There's a day coming when that's going to cease. There's going to be a war, the struggle of struggles. The struggle of struggles, when all this whole kingdom of light, the Lord Jesus Christ, his elect angels, and all the saved will be aligned, aligned against Satan, the demons, and lost angels, and all lost men. And the two forces will clash. And here you have it. It starts in heaven. It starts in heaven. And there's a war between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. And Satan and his angels are cast out of heaven. Satan and his angels are cast out to heaven, into this earth. Now look at 16. Look at 16. Verse says uh, 13 and 14. 13 and 14. 16, 13 and 14. And I saw, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils, spirits of demons. Now remember, remember in the authorized version, 
When you see devils, plural, it means demons. There's only one devil. There's only one devil. There are many demons, but there's only one devil. And so when you see it in the plural, it's demons, not devils. Demons, not devils. Working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth. Now get this. And of the whole world to gather them to battle to the great day of God. Ah, this is exciting, right? Tremendous. Here, Daniel foresaw the 